0: Second King Six, Second King Six. Again, I want to thank the church family for allowing us some hours of rest and recharging, and I kind of came back uh, like a bear out of hibernation. I'm ready to go. I just feel that charge. I'm relaxed, and uh, God's just really setting this thing up. I, I'm learning quickly that if we'll trust him, he'll take care of the rest. The stuff that we can't understand, the stuff that we can't really process in our own understanding, God will take care of all of it. We'll just trust Him. And I'm thankful for uh, this church family, the incredible team that works behind me. I I love each and every one of them. We're a blessed congregation. 2 Kings 6, we're going to dive into the middle of a situation that's taking place in the history of Samaria. This is a very particular point in their history and Some things that had happened that led to this moment, but never embrace the Old Testament as something that is irrelevant for your life today. The stories that are here, what God has for us in Scripture, is still as important today as it was the moment it was inspired to be written. And so many of the principles of God, uh, the way that God operates, the way that God moves towards His people, so much of that is evident in the Old Testament. God is a God of order. God is a God of specific workings. He is not a God of chaos. God does not do things the way we do as humans in sort of a knee-jerk reaction. God is a very stable entity. He doesn't flip back and forth. He's just who he is. And what's hard for us to process is God has always been that way. God doesn't have a starting point. There wasn't an explosion of energy. There wasn't a big bang, if you will. God has always been and will always be. And sometimes for us it's hard to put that into understanding in human terms. God's just always been. And his character, because he's a holy God, and he's a righteous God, and he's a just God, none of those things ever change. You know how sometimes you'll run into someone and they'll be happy They'll be full of joy. You'll be encouraged by talking to them. And then the next day you run into them and it's like someone took all the coffee out of their house and set their car on fire before you met them the next day. And they're gloomy and the world's coming to an end and everything's so dark and dreary. That's human nature. It changes. It goes back and forth. It kind of ebbs and flows, if you will. Not God. God is a stable entity, and I think we need to embrace that as we read the Old Testament. Obviously, we are under grace and not law, praise the Lord for that, but our God is still a God of great character. Now, I want to be very specific here. I want us to hone in on one thought here about this story. There's a lot that happens here, and I would imagine, unless the Lord changes our heart, We'll be back in this story from a completely different angle next week. I really think the Lord has something here for us. But here's the situation. Go to 2 Kings 6, go down to the 24th verse. And we'll dive into this together. And it came to pass after this that Benadad, king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. There was a famine in Samaria, and if you understand everything that happens in this story, for the sake of time and for where we're headed this morning, let me just say this. This famine that's in Samaria, what's taken place, was caused by disobedience. It was caused by sin. It was caused by corporate, nationwide sin and disobedience. And now they're to a place where sin takes people, no matter who you are, no matter where you were born, no matter how long you've been in church or no matter how long your parents were a part of a church, Anyone who gets involved in this aspect of sin and who lives in that constant lifestyle, this is sort of the evidence of what sin does to people. Sin always takes people to a place that those participants, those people never expected to be. The sin and the disobedience of Samaria, never would they have thought that it would bring them to such a place of desperation, such a place of sin and hopelessness, that there would be a very profitous economy on the droppings of birds so that people would have something to put in their belly nor did they ever assume that in their sin and in their disobedience that they would come to a place where the head of an animal carcass would be sold for 10 and 15 times what it was worth so that mamas and daddies could boil it and make some sort of broth or soup or stew out of a dead animal's head. But that's exactly where we find these people in Samaria. It's a dire situation. It's a horrible situation and there's famine in the land. And this is what sin does, I might add as a sidebar to today's message. This is always where sin leads. Sin will always lead you, no matter how good it feels in the moment, no matter how pleasurable it is for the season, sin will always suck the life out and leave you in a place of despair and brokenness. That is the plan, that is the blueprint, that is the desire of Satan, the enemy himself, in each and every person's life to bring them to this place of hopelessness and despair. So here before us is a situation. Who would agree that what we've just read and understood about what's going on in Samaria? Who would agree that this is a dire situation? Yes, I think we can all agree, I've never been as hungry to say that, boy, I wish I had the droppings of a dove. I've been hungry before, but I've never understood hunger to the point to where I go looking for the carcass of an animal to remove its head and call that my supper. I've never been that hungry before. I've never understood a place of that type of hunger, but that's exactly where these people were. Now, we know it's a dire situation. We know it's an evil place. We know it's a place of wickedness exposed, a desperate place. But go to chapter seven, go to the first verse. How many in here today can say that you like good news? Who likes good news? I know I do. I don't like getting bad news. If you do, I'll let somebody call you and give you my bad news that I'm supposed to get. But I like getting good news, I like getting good emails. Good text, good calls. I like getting good news. And what's getting ready to happen in Samaria is God is going to use Elisha to bring some good news for the entire country. Look what he says. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Now, Paul's right there before we go to the next verse. There's so much here, but for the sake of understanding, Elisha is saying not only are we going to have food, but it's going to be available within the gate. Now remember, these people are besieged. They're surrounded. The armies of Syria have come against them. Benadad is bloodthirsty to wipe out this entire city and its inhabitants. But Elisha, God's man, stands up and says, in 24 hours, God's gonna provide sustenance for the entire nation. Let's read on. Then a Lord, whose hand the king leaned, answered the man of God and said, behold. If the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, this is Elijah replying to this Lord, this captain, this leader. He said, behold, pay attention. Thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. You'll see it with your own eyes. You'll know in your heart that the prophecy has come true, but you won't eat it. You won't taste it. And today, my heart for just a few minutes is to continue to build on what God's doing in this place, in this congregation, in this church, and preach on this thought doubting God and dying hungry. Doubting God and dying hungry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, for just a few minutes, Lord, we come into your presence, and Father, we ask you for guidance. Lord, we ask you that the Holy Spirit of God would challenge each and every heart that's here. Lord, we thank you today for your word, for the truth of your word. Lord, we pray that you would use it to penetrate hearts and minds. God, I pray for the spirit of liberty to be in this place today. God, I pray that you would bind distraction. Lord, that there would be a stillness in the people, Lord, that our attention would be focused on the word of God and that we would embrace what thus saith the Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross use me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, the promise is coming. The dire situation, the horrible place that they're in as a people. You've never gone to Ingalls, you've never gone to Publix, and the only thing being available be bird droppings and donkeys' heads, but that's where these people are now. The promise of provision is coming. Elijah is going to make uh, things seem very uh, to a climax, if you will. This is the intersection. This is where things are going to change. Elijah is saying tomorrow, about this time, within 24 hours, everything you see around you, the situation you're living in, it's going to change. It's a grand prophecy. It's a great prophecy. And it's a tall order when left to human understanding. Now, this incredible story. Is full of many things, but we're gonna focus on one man. I want us to focus on this Lord, as the Bible calls him, this Lord. He's a captain, a right hand man, a top advisor, someone in leadership with a voice, someone who was at the top of the food chain, if you will. He has the king's ear. The king, the Bible says, leans into him for advice. This man has a platform, he has a place, he has a position. Uh, and I may just add in my southern uh, mountain talk, Miss Carla, in my humble opinion, this captain, this lord, this right-hand man is a smarty britches. He's a smart aleck. God's man comes out, and we won't get into that whole story today about how Elisha gets to this place. But Elijah comes out to this place and he tells them, he says hey, tomorrow things are gonna change. There's gonna be flour, there's gonna be barley, your bellies are gonna be full and there's gonna go from uh, nothing to an abundance. This is a big change. But if you'll notice his response, you'll notice how he talks back to God's man. He says, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? He's saying if God was to open up the heavens and put in windows on both sides, could it even be possible? Would it even be within the capability of God to do such a thing? Doubting God and dying hungry. But the prophecy had been made. God's word had been delivered. There would be food for Samaria. And the doubt of this right-hand man the fear maybe that even gripped his heart, that for a moment he leaned into his humanity, his doubt took him to a very dangerous place. And we'll see just how far it took him. But what you find in that captain, what you find in that Lord, stay with me now as we preach this, what you find in him, his response, may I submit to you, is exactly what you find in the very essence Humanity, that doubt, that moment, that knee jerk emotion. Ah, no, no, no. If God Himself put in windows, I doubt it could happen. That moment that we see in Scripture is exactly what every man and every woman, every boy and every girl under the sound of my voice is born with. You are pre programmed from inception to be just like that. A doubting, arrogant, prideful, disrespectful, God dishonoring human being with strings that are attached all the way back to your father Adam who fell, fell, fell. That's who we are. That is human nature. You say, well, that's not very kind. That's what we are. That's what humanity without Christ's intervention That's what we get is this result of arrogance. It's humanity kept unchecked. And when we're saved, praise God, we are saved and we're saved forever. Praise the Lord, I can't lose my salvation. I had a DNA change, a regeneration, that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, I cannot lose my adoption papers. I have been born into the family of God. I've got a seat at the table. Praise the Lord. But guess what I still have to war with each and every day? My rotten self, my flesh, what you see on the TV screen. What I see in the mirror every morning at five o'clock when I shave my face, it's the Adamic nature of man. And what we go to war with daily is that flesh, is that nature. The apostle Paul said, I die, Paul dies daily. It's got to be executed and what this little outburst costs this man is more than anybody in this room is willing to pay. But it so explains who we are as people. It was a threefold doubt. Let me give you this. It was a threefold doubt. There's a doubt there for God the Father. There's a doubt there for God the Son. There's a doubt there for God the Holy Ghost. Number one, he doubted the capability of God. Well, if God could, could, and I see it, this is in my mind now. I see it hands on his hip. He's probably from somewhere in Buncombe County. Hands on his hip looking up. Well, I don't know if God could put in windows and maybe, but I doubt it. Don't act like you don't know somebody instantly that you've seen say something like that. That's who we are as people. That's what we are. And he puts his hands on his hip. He doubted the capability of God. And what old smarty britches should have remembered is that God can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. The capability of God is vast. And it's not for us to even begin to try to understand exactly how God does what he does. Of course God could make windows. Of course God could have opened the floodgates of heaven and manna rained from heaven. But that's not what God had in mind. That's not what God had in store. But he doubted the capability of God. Secondly, he doubted the control of God. All he's looking at is what's around him. He sees the armies. He sees that they're surrounded. He sees that there's no hope. They're cut off. We read in these verses, ladies and gentlemen, that there were mothers who were eating their own children They had come to the place of utter desperation to the point and it shows the wickedness of human beings that they would even be willing to fill their bellies with their own children. That's graphic. That's hard to take in. It's how desperate the situation was. And Elijah's saying tomorrow you'll have barley, you'll have flour, and you'll be able to afford it. The entire situation is getting ready to change. But secondly, he doubted the control of God. You see, the city was surrounded. The city was in a desperate place. But God had not lost control of that situation. And there may be some of you sitting here today as we preach this. You're in a situation where you feel a little bit surrounded by the enemy. You feel a little bit cut off from any resource. Spiritually speaking, you may be in the desert season of your adult life. Your marriage may be strained. You may have a child that's out in the world, a grandchild who's in rebellion. You may be in the most difficult few weeks of your life sitting in a church pew today and you feel like you're totally cut off from any God or any availability that God has for your life. But let me remind you that God has not lost control of any situation in this room. God still is able Intervene. That somehow for us sometimes becomes a cliche. Well, God's in control, but do we really believe that God's in control? It's cute. It makes a great thing on Instagram, Facebook, or a t shirt. God's in control. You can put it on a bumper sticker on your car, but it's a whole nother thing to believe it and to embrace it. In this situation in Samaria, as dark as it was, God was still in control, but the captain doubted the control of God. And then thirdly, he doubted the call of God in the life of the messenger. He doubted the call of God in the life of the messenger. You see, this was not Elisha who was going to be providing the food. It was not Elisha who was going to be ratifying the economy on food within 24 hours. It was not going to be Elisha who was going to bring the food into the city and open the gate and allow commerce to take place and hungry bellies to be fed with appropriate food. It was not Elisha who was going to do that. Elisha was simply the messenger from God, the empty vessel filled up and used by God. But when this captain, this Lord, this leader, said that, "I doubt that God is capable. I doubt that God is in control." He wasn't doubting Elisha. he was doubting the God of Elisha. He was saying, "There's no way you've lost your mind." Backed away from the situation. I say all that to get to the introduction. Take a deep breath, I'm kidding. December 2021, I went to Mississippi for five days of prayer. Got alone with God and really started to pray about the future of our church, the future of our children's ministry and our youth and how we could take care of these wonderful gray-haired saints of God that he's given us. And really just spent 5 days alone with God in an intimate place. Two words that keep coming to my heart as it pertains to our church, as it pertains to our future, as it pertains even to our need has been confidence and authority. You've heard me say that if you've listened to me preach at all in the last six months. I've taught more about confidence and authority than I have anything else. I so believe that's what our church needs worse than anything on this earth. Confidence and authority. Not in who, listen to me, the pastor is. Not in a plan of secession that we put in place back in October of 2021 not in the financial stability of the church, not in how good we can look to the community, but rather confidence and authority to be the people, the church that God has called us to be in this day, in this hour, for this moment. And if we're going to be Christians, children of God, a church separated and sanctified, ready to be used of God and you're going to live in this crazy upside down sin sick, let me repeat the word crazy world then you're going to have to desperately have confidence and authority in who God is, in what God is and for his leadership in your life. We must have confidence and authority personally. Yes, there can come confidence and authority corporately, but there needs to be individual confidence and authority. And it remains my prayer to this day that Trinity Baptist Church would be stacked with people, families, deacons, ushers, Media workers, leadership team, choir members, children's ministry workers, youth workers who have confidence and authority to be able to live in this day and this hour. My entire life has been revolved around, in some way, ministry. My entire life. Missions, conferences, revivals, jubilees, deputation as a missionary, 10 years here, 2 years there, back to the United States, church, ministry, action, revivals, tent meetings. It's been my entire life. Have I always been involved, been right with God? No, but it's been my entire life. The stories that I've seen the moves of God that were actually of God, where lives were changed and when people said they got saved, by God, they got saved. It changed them. It did something for them. I'm talking about as a child, I've seen men come down an aisle in a pile of uh, sawdust shavings and say, I can't get drunk no more. I've drank all of the liquor I could buy and if something's wrong with me. I, gotta get, I guess I gotta get saved. And they get saved the power of God that moved in the Cane River Revival, the power of God we felt here the past few weeks, the power of God that I experienced as a child in that old building when the Holy Ghost of God came by my way at 15 years old and convicted me and showed me that I needed a Savior. That is a wonderful heritage. It is a wonderful gift from God. But if it's going to go any further than a nostalgic little cute feeling, then this church must be stacked with men and women who have confidence and authority to live in this day and this hour. You say, well, pastor, if you're worried about church growth and we're gonna have to tone you down a little bit and maybe change up some of the way we do things to be more inviting to people, that is not my interest, church. My interest is to be right with God that we keep heaven in here and hell pushed out so that when we do go out into hell we can be the light and the salt that God called us to be and see men and women's lives changed. Praise the Lord. But there's one thing I can say and this is where we want to end today. If we have anything to say if there's anything that can be really hidden in our hearts today is that we're all going to have to embrace that for us as a church collectively to take the next step, to go to the next level, then we're going to have to believe God in faith for things that we sometimes will not be able to understand in our own human understanding a walk of faith a leap of faith and here we are again pastor nathan talked about it last week when the glory departs how quickly we can be in a moment a breath of revival god's people are being faithful and giving and praying and serving praise the lord but how quickly our flesh allows us to divulge back to where we used to be god doesn't ever change the holy spirit of god never changes It's on us to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And there's a real danger in doubting God, not believing God, questioning God. Notice the disbelief of this captain in this story. Number one, notice the convenience of disbelief. Look how easy it was for him to do this. It doesn't say that he heard Elisha give the prophecy that there would be food and then he fell on his knees and said, oh Lord, may it be so. Praise God, you're gonna feed us. That's not what happened. It says that he replied, immediately he responded and he said what he said. But look how easy it was for him to quickly back away from the situation and choose not to believe the supernatural. Supernatural. You see, this captain, this officer, this leader, he knew who Elisha was. He knew that this wasn't some hermit that came out of the mountains and said, tomorrow we're going to have food. Tomorrow we're going to eat. This wasn't some crazy man. This was God's anointed servant, Elisha, who had earned the right to stand and prophesy. God had given him the words to say, And instead of him doing what he should have done, which was to run all over Samaria like a wild man, saying, hey, God's man said it tomorrow. There's food coming from heaven. Everybody's gonna get something to eat. It's gonna be affordable for all of the families. Instead of that being his response, he took the coward's way out. You'll notice how quick and how easy. It's the convenience of disbelief It's the convenience of doubting God. This is the easy way out. This is where you don't have to have any skin in the game. And in his mind, he could doubt God. He could doubt the capability and the control of God and say out loud to say face in case the food didn't come. Well, I told you so. Remember, I said it. Here we are 24 hours later. And are you still hungry? Yeah, me too. He was setting himself up to be separated. That was his choice. There was no risk for him. There was no vulnerability for him. And he showed the character of his heart that he wasn't dependent on God. And if we're going to see things happen, if we're going to go to the next level, whatever may, God may have for us as a church, we're going to have to come to a place where we say, God, we are completely, totally dependent on you. And say, Lord, even though I can't see how we get to this place, I trust you. I'm going to follow you. The convenience of disbelief, that lives in all of us. You hear the words coming out of my mouth? That lives in all of us. That string of pride and arrogance. Guys, put the picture up that I sent you a few minutes ago. Miranda and I were blessed to go on vacation. We flew back in yesterday afternoon to Asheville. And we took a route that every once in a while we'll fly in. The Delta pilot seemed to choose it every once in a while. Flew over the church and downtown and the Biltmore. Landed there at Asheville Airport. And David, as we flew by, I looked at that city. and I started zooming in on buildings that I knew. I went to Pritchard Park, could zoom in and see a little bit of it. Thought about the drum circle and all that happens down there, the homeless people that live all around there that get dumped from other cities. I thought about all the breweries and microbreweries that have just all of a sudden, in the past 10 years, taken over Asheville. I thought about the fact that our citywide event, Bell Share, that we used to enjoy, that used to be a family friendly, fun event for the whole family to go and enjoy, we had to get rid of it, what, seven, ten years ago now, because of how tough things were. And I thought about our city. And I thought about what we used to be known for. I thought about the great men of God that he's called out of this city to take the gospel literally all around the world, great missionaries, evangelists, pastors, all over Western North Carolina. That's our heritage. And then instantly as something kind of welled up inside of me, thinking about how wonderful our heritage is and thankful for all that God has done in the past, I was instantly met with that dark wall, sort of a victory lap for Satan. Well, I've got that city now. It belongs to me. I've got a grip that will never let go. It's almost a darkness and an oppression. If you you listen to the words coming out of my mouth, if you want to know what spiritual warfare really is, go downtown Asheville and walk around and try to pray. There is a grip, there is a darkness that invades our city on a daily basis. And sometimes the easy, convenient thing would be to say, well, devil, she's yours. You can have it. Satan, do as you please. There's no hope for us to make any kind of a change, we'll just come over here on our campus in West Asheville and, and we'll circle the wagons and we'll serve Jesus until he comes and we'll try to do our best. The convenience of disbelief. How easy we can just deject ourselves and say, well, it's not really my problem. It's not really my fault. There are greater little communities in Western North Carolina. We'll we'll think about them. We'll embrace them. We'll uh, go and eat dinner there. We won't go to Asheville anymore. We'll just kind of write it off. The convenience of disbelief that God's able to do something for that city that he did in 1910 and in 1920 and in 1930 and in 1980. The convenience of disbelief. Secondly, the characteristics of disbelief. I'm sure that this captain, this Lord, had a moment where he was able to analyze everything that Elisha had said. That there would be food available at an affordable price. And there may have even been a split second where he goes, This is happening too soon. Maybe if we had a couple of months of rain and we had opportunity to plant seed and have crop grow and we had animals and if we had this and that, then maybe I can see it. But it's too soon tomorrow, Elisha. Maybe I can believe that food's coming. Maybe I believe that the economy is going to change. But Elisha, it's a little too far. Maybe he said it's too hard to believe. You see what we're eating You know what's happening? Maybe he's saying it's too late. It's gone too far. People are eating their children. They'll never be the same. Even if they get food, it's too late. Write it off. The doubt speaks so much of the heart. The characteristics of doubting God is an ugly thing. And it's because it's always linked back to pride and arrogance. And that pride and that arrogance always leads to negativity It always leads to hopelessness. It always leads to being dejected and suspicious. And if you're not careful, you'll live your entire Christian life on this earth as a suspicious, defeated person. And every time God moves, and every time God does something, and every time God gives us a victory, you'll have to sit on the sidelines and watch other people enjoy the blessing. And spiritually speaking, you'll be sitting there dead and hungry. Because of the nature of your disbelief. And then lastly, the consequence of disbelief. It always comes with a cost to choose not to believe God. To choose not to follow God. To not take His Word in its entirety for exactly what it is. God's holy inspired Word. You see, doubting God partially is actually doubting God completely. They're not parts of this Christian life that we're able to embrace because we can see it and kind of understand it and we're comfortable with that idea. But this part over here where I have to live clean and holy, the fact that God calls me to a standard of living, the fact that God wants me in his house, the fact that God should be the priority of everything, the fact that my money doesn't actually belong to me, it belongs to the Lord and I bring the first fruits and give a tithe and an offering. You see, we like to pick and choose the portions of faith that we allow ourselves to involve ourselves in. But when we choose to doubt God in one area, we're completely doubting God because that's who God is. You can't have the mashed potatoes without the meatloaf. It's one Plate. God's character, His nature, the faith, life, and walk for Christians is a complete package that God expects us to live in and walk in. You can't pick and choose the portions of this you want to be participating in. God's given us an incredible opportunity to live in this world, not of this world, and still have victory and still have peace, and still have authority and confidence over wickedness and darkness. For this captain, his doubt, it brought demise. It cost him his life. I believe with all my heart that God would not allow that doubt. He would not allow that suspiciousness of God's man, that suspiciousness of God himself to exist in leadership at the top. There was getting ready to be food. Everything was getting ready to change. And God knew that someone at the top needed to be right with God. He didn't allow this captain, this advisor, to stay on as part of the deal. There was no room at the top. No room within the ranks of leadership for disbelief. And church, there's no room in our lives personally for disbelief. 2 Kings 7, 16 through 20 tells this whole story. The Bible repeats itself here. It confirms that this man died. Look what it says here. Verse 16, And the people went out and spoiled the tents of the Syrians, so a measure of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. And the king appointed the Lord. Here's the man who doubted. The king appointed the Lord on whose hand he leaned to have the charge of the gate. And the people trode upon him in the gate and he died as the man of God had said who spake when the king came down to him. The prophecy was fulfilled. The king sends his man to the gate to watch the people be fed, to see the promise and the provision come, the prophecy fulfilled. But before he's able to enjoy the blessing of God, before he was able to enjoy the provision of God, he was trampled to death watching those people take flour and barley and be fed. And as he stood in the gate of Samaria, he died doubting God and he died hungry. And I don't know who you are today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the burden specifically for each of us individually, but let me say this. If your church experience, if your participation in the body of Christ is to come and to be that of a doubter, to be that of a suspicious individual, to be that of a backbiter or a naysayer, to be that of someone who micro-assesses every intricate detail of ministry, then you will come to a place where you will sit at the gate and die and be hungry spiritually. And when the blessing comes, when God moves, when He starts breathing through our children's ministry and starts saving babies and starts saving teenagers and starts calling young men to preach the Word of God, you'll have to sit there with your family and watch others enjoy the blessing because of your doubt. There's no room in this hour. There's no room in this day for us to live as God-doubting, God-denying, suspicious Christians. But rather, this is the day, this is the hour where we look at the city of Asheville and we say, yes, the situation is dark. Yes, the situation is grim. No, I don't recognize any of this city and the way it operates. I can't recognize any part of it. But I know there is a God in heaven who is still capable and still able who can reach down into this wicked, sin-sick city and radically change it for his glory. My God is not dead this morning. My God is not reduced because of the state of the nation this morning. My God is a holy three times God who sits on the throne in total control. And he's still calling men to preach, and he's still saving young people. And if enough of us will stop doubting him and dive in and say, I believe God, then maybe, just maybe, he can change this city. And the fire, the spark, can happen right here at 216 Shelburne Road. Doubting God, but dying hungry. Church, let's be transparent. Somebody can help me on the piano. We'll finish. Let's be transparent this morning. Our church family, if you're a visitor this morning, God bless you for being a part and I hope it's a blessing to you, but this is obviously for our church family this morning. If you're a part of this congregation, you know exactly what it's been for us the past nine, 10 months. The leap of faith we took as a church do you remember Homecoming 2021? Do you remember Homecoming 2020? The announcements. Change is coming. Transition. Our Moses. Oh Lord. And I listen, I told the 8 o'clock church, I'll be honest with you. There were a few days where I went, Lord. Are we positive about this? God, are you absolutely certain this is your plan, that you want this? God, I don't see it. I don't understand it. But Lord, I trust you. And if you'll open the door, we'll follow you. And God has honored this church for stepping out in faith, even when it did not make sense. You say, whoa, what are you talking about? look at me like a calf at a new gate I know the conversation you had I had with myself the morning of the transition service October the 10th I sat on the edge of my bed and cried like a three year old and I said Miranda let's just go away let's run because I'm looking at it and I'm going man ain't no way there ain't no way if you'll take that leap of faith that first God will take care of the rest and maybe you've allowed yourself a few months of spectation. you've just been kind of let's see what happens let's see if the kid runs the thing in the ground I get it I've kind of had those conversations myself a lot of times I call my granddaddy I just I say, how do you do this? Because I don't get it. And he'll just say, well, pray about and follow God. Thanks for the advice. It's so much bigger. Than the man standing behind the pulpit. Yes, I am your pastor. Yes, I am the under shepherd. But guess who I serve? Jesus. He's the head of this church. We're just trying our best to stay out of his way, follow him, what he wants. But, church, it's high time in God's house that we inspect ourselves this morning. You see, this is like Food Network. I'm learning that I really enjoy using food analogies. I've learned that about myself. I wonder why. It's like Spiritual Food Network. It is. I used to love Emerald Agassi. Bam! I loved it. Who remembers Emerald Agassi? I loved it. It's like Spiritual Food Network. There are some of you who are sitting back and you're watching Emerald. Cook the shrimp scampi. I mean, it, it looks like it tastes good. It looks like it smells good. Boy, Emerald really understands the science of the human palate. I bet that that salt goes good. You're, you're watching things take place. But no matter how long you sit in front of your TV and sniff your screen, you cannot smell the shrimp scampi that Emerald's cooking. They've not yet invented smell-o-vision, as granddaddy would say. And then some of you, you've gone to the fresh market. and You've picked out the ingredients. You've put hands on tomatoes and you've looked at onions and you've thought about what goes here and what goes there and you've loaded up your little cart for your family. You've gone home You've looked in the recipe book. Oh, if we'll do this. Let's add a little bit. Oh, yes. Look here. Mm. Oh, if we'll do this, well, that dish will taste a lot better. Boy, it'll be an enjoyable thing. You see, the people who are sitting at the screen trying to sniff the shrimp scampi, you can get no sustainment from watching food. You have to eat it. Some of you need to stop watching Food Network. Get in the kitchen and start making supper because there's work to be done. And instead of being a spectator, become a participant. Enjoy the meal. Eat the blessings that God has given. Enjoy it. Be prepared to step out in faith and believe God for big things. If you're wanting the list, I don't have it. Well, what big things are we believing God for? I don't know but when the time comes, we'll do it together. Lock arms hand in hand. I'll tell you one thing that I am praying about. It's on the back of your bulletin each and every week. We need an education building in this place. We need it desperately but before we get there before we build that multi-million dollar structure, maybe God wants to see some more participation and less spectatorship. Can God trust Trinity Baptist Church with a multi-million dollar educational facility? Can God trust us to be the church he wants us to be in this city? Maybe it's time for some of us to say, God, I don't want to doubt. I don't want to spectate. I don't want to just watch other people serve. I don't want to just come and be an occupant in a blue chair and go home and check the box. But I want to step out in faith believe God for big things. Is there anybody here under the sound of my voice this morning, you're ready to take that leap of faith? We're ready to go forward for God. God bless you. God bless you. Hey, God bless you, Brother Bill. We've got a few people here that are saying, I'm willing to follow God no matter what it costs. That's the key. It's not how much money we have in the bank. It's not about how many pastors we can add on staff. It's not about how good the choir sounds. Praise God, they sound good every time they sing. It's about how willing we are to surrender ourselves and say, God, I trust you. I'm following you, even when it doesn't make sense. And I refuse to not believe and become dead, tired, and cold spiritually. Feed me, lead me, and use me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, God, and your instruction. God, I thank you for this church family. Lord, I thank you for the sacrifices that have been made. Lord, that we could be here today. God, I thank you for the people who sacrificed their own homes so that we could have a building. God, I thank you for the people who fasted and prayed, sacrificed their own health, praying and seeking God for this church family, that we would have a future. God, even today we are consuming olives from trees that we did not plant, and we thank you. Oh, God, we thank you. Thank you for Poppy. For James Alexander Stewart. Lord, I thank you for Jerry Payne. Oh, Lord, for those people who have served, who've given it all. Now, God, you know my prayer is simple. Lord, would you raise up some more people, God, so that my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren, Lord, if you tarry, will have a church to come to. God, that there'll still be a building here preaching and teaching the word of God. Lord, if you tarry 150 years, that there'll still be a light on at Trinity Baptist Church. Now, God, would you put a spirit of willingness in us to be able to take that leap and to trust you and to follow you even when it doesn't make sense. God, we surrender to you. We ask you to lead us. We ask you to guide us. We ask you to give us the provision for the future. Lord would you add unto the church those that you want here and Father if there need be pruning we pray that you would do it quickly prepare us for what you have for us we just want your presence your vision for this church your leadership your desire I surrender to you I bow to your will I remove myself from decisions. I'll lay them in your hands. Now show us as a church and we'll follow and we'll be faithful. We thank you for this time together. Help us, Lord, to be participants and not spectators. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around. Still led just to ask this question. I'll ask it openly. If no one comes, we'll go home. Is there anybody here under the sound of my voice that say, Pastor, the Lord's dealt with my heart today. I've got some things that I need to get right. There's been some spectatorship in my life spiritually. I just want to dive in. I want to be used of God. I want to be a participant. Is there any man or woman here that just raise your hand and say? God, help me be a participant. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hands all over the building. Here's what we're going to do. All those hands that went up, I want to be a participant. I want you to come and I want you to kneel. I want you to stand in front of this pulpit. Every hand, there were dozens of hands. Move right now. All those hands that went up, if you're able to move, I want you to come stand right here in front of this pulpit. We're going to pray together. Let's stand all over the building. All the hands that were raised. I've been a spectator. I want to be a participant. Would you just come stand right here? We're going to pray. Pastors, deacons, I want you to join me. We're going to pray over these people. I want to serve. I want to be used of God. Would you just come right here in the front? All of those that raised their hand, would you just come right here?